thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is Up for a Chat with Cindy O'Mara, Karen Smith, and Kim Morrison. up for a chat about the hottest topics that are important to you, inspiring you to awaken the change within. I'm Karen Smith. And I'm Cindy O'Meara. Now, Kimmy's not on the show with us today. She's overseas right now with her family, so we're going to miss her desperately. But we have an amazing guest on the show that, Cindy, I am so grateful to you um, for partnering me in this conversation because... This is a conversation that's particularly close to my heart and I have thought about it a hundred times as to whether I was going to go public with this information. But today I've decided I'm going to because I feel like there's probably a lot of benefit to everybody um, to be able to chronicle this journey um, for myself but also too for our listeners to be able to introduce you guys to some of the experts that I'm personally drawing on but of course, all of you guys would know um, when it comes to health and well-being, I don't make a move unless Cindy knows about it. And um, I just feel so incredibly blessed to know that I'm not on my own in this journey. And let me just get straight to it. We have the amazing Clint Patterson joining us on the show today. Now, Clint is an expert when it comes to rheumatoid arthritis which I've just tested positive for. So we are super keen to have a conversation with this incredible man, listen to his story of his own personal journey, to also explore how he has healed himself and how he goes on to heal hundreds of thousands of people around the world now. And a more humble and a more genuine man I don't think I've met. So welcome to the show, Clint. It's an absolute treat to share the next hour with you. Thank you for doing this with us. Thank you, Karen and Cindy. What a pleasure. <laughs> Definitely. So I'm going to ask the first question. You go. Go, Cindy, go. <laughs> yeah, I, I think what I'd like to know, Clint, I'd really like to go back to uh, your life uh, before you were diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis and, um, and leading up to that diagnosis but what was it like paint a picture for us um what your childhood was like and you know what was happening well as we'll sort of cover throughout this conversation um rheumatoid arthritis stems from a gut disorder so i'm going to highlight some of the parts of my childhood and and growing up um to answer your question but with some sort of emphasis on that aspect otherwise uh you know i'd be just um, pulling any random information. So um, I was a uh, natural birth, was breastfed for a long period of time. Um, so I had like in terms of a, a start, a good start with my upbringing. I grew up on a farm. So I was on a um, meat and veg diet most of my life. In fact, my dad used to say stuff like eat your meat, it'll put air on your chest and stuff. Um, and so I was um, eating a lot of, uh, you know, farm foods. We were, you know, eating foods from the farm where um, sheep, cattle, um, pigs, which were the most uh, unpleasant to prepare the way that they had to be prepared is pretty disgusting. But, uh, you know, we were eating these sort of um, 
homegrown foods and of course some garden veggies that mum would get and um, I would be always a thin um, uh, kid growing up as a teenager so I'd try and drink lots of milk and try and get a lot of calories from you know from your stereotypical kind of um, you know standard Australian foods Um, and in terms of exercise I was um, running cross-country as a teenager I was fit I I, um, won the uh, cross-country when I was 17 and uh, <clears throat> didn't have a record time or anything, but I, you know, was the kind of lanky, long-distance runner at school. So I had lots of friends. I was school captain. Uh, I was sports captain. Um, you know, things were good at school. It was a very quiet little school out in Peak Hill, which is out past uh, Dubbo in the middle of New South Wales. Um, but I was a happy kid, grew up with, a, with an elder sister who's one year older than me, and um, we happy times out there on the farm, driving the tractor, sowing the wheat. Um, yeah, did well at school, then went to university, um, mucked around the first year of university and almost failed one subject and just passed all the rest and panicked and thought, oh, my God, this is so much harder than school and everyone's so much smarter than me. So then I became an ultra nerd and uh, I was doing laser physics as my education. And just because it sounded cool, when I was year 12, I had to choose something. And this thing said optoelectronics, which is all to do with optical fibers and um, light communication. So I thought, that sounds cool. So I was studying that, but it was very hard. So I had to apply uh, as much effort as I could. But I ended up getting uh, huge accolades at university after studying like crazy for the subsequent three years of the four years honors degree. And got a whole bunch of sort of awards and stuff. And uh, this is kind of relevant to, to later in our conversation. Um, so I guess what it, the reason it's relevant is, um, you know, I showed that I could basically undertake research. And I, I actually proved for the first time in the world that frequency doubled copper vapor lasers could simultaneously fabricate multiple fiber break grading. So that was my claim to fame in my honours year at university and we published a journal paper. And so I was actually a published uh, scientist uh, at the age of 22 or something, which was super cool because wow. no one else had achieved that um, uh, in, uh, in, in my, my colleagues at, at uni. And then uh, just had a wonderful time after that, uh, working in a high-tech industry um, and uh, just eating like all my mates um, and exercising more and more infrequently as I got towards my late 20s. I was just going to the gym here and there but not doing any cardiovascular exercise. Um, But the bit that I want to draw upon that I hadn't mentioned before I mentioned when I got diagnosed, which was at 31, is that between the age of 16 and 21, I was on low dose of doxycycline for acne. I had very persistent acne as a teenager and it really affected my self-esteem at 16. Even as a boy, uh, you know, you can be very self-conscious about the way you look and feeling like you can fit in. And so I um, went to the doctor and I got some doxycycline low dose and I went on those tablets. And for reasons that I <laughs> lament greatly, uh, I didn't really kind of consider stopping them. I just thought, oh, well, that's what I do for my acne. And it wasn't until I turned 21, I thought, you know, none of my friends have acne anymore at 21. Maybe I should stop taking these tablets. And it wasn't until then that I, uh, I took the risk in my mind of stopping taking them. Uh, but I had digestive trouble throughout the rest of my 20s. And obviously, it, it manifested into much worse things 
later on. So um, that that's kind of the, the stuff leading up to when I got diagnosed, which was at 31 years old. And um, yes, it uh, it all began in my feet. So that's that's the pre that's the pre Clint uh, pre rheumatoid Clint. Yeah, interesting that it, it began in your feet. So was it when you walked? Was did it? They ache. Um, yes, I describe it as having the feeling of broken glass in the metatarsals or the padding at the front of your feet. Um, parts of your sort of body that you never think about. The thing with rheumatoid is you discover areas of your body that you'd previously given no thought because they've never hurt or they've just been no, they don't play a part in your life. Um, things like my chest bone, you know, I get pain in my chest bone because the inflammation was in those connective uh, joints between the ribs and the chest plate. And so, you know, things like that or my jaw where inflammation was getting into. So, so yeah, but it started in my feet. And for most people, it begins in the little joints, like the, the, the fingers, the wrists, uh, ankles, and the feet, things like that is where it be- tends to begin. Because if you've got a little bit of inflammation, they tend to, it tends to get um, activated in little joints. And as you get more and more inflammation, it can lodge in bigger and bigger joints. So that tends to be generally the trend. Mm. Now, um, I'm just really surprised about the antibiotics, that your doctor didn't um, say something. It shouldn't have been up to you how long you took it for. I, I would have thought your doctor would have been a little bit more cluey than leaving you on it for that extended period of time. What happened there? I don't remember. Mm. I just honestly don't remember. I cannot recall any conversations with doctors about the antibiotics. I really can't. I never took them seriously. I thought they were just a, you know, a, a, a um, fairly mild intervention for the acne. Um, and really, um, it's just, it's, I draw a blank. I, I try and think back to where I even went to the doctors when I was in Sydney and I cannot even recall where I was, where I was getting these refills. It's the strangest thing. But um, I, I've, look, I've got a strange view on this in that I, in p- parts of me feel that I was somehow destined to get this condition. And I draw upon a little bit of a, um, not a heavy religious background, but certainly a feeling of something that's meant to be. And because of my, um, you know, a really unusual set of skills, which was my scientific background. And then later since then, I've actually been doing stand-up comedy for the past 18 years. This whole time I've been doing stand-up. Uh, so I've got public speaking skills. Um, I was also, you know, debating at school and, and have always felt fairly confident in front of, um, you know, in terms of speaking. And so I thought maybe because of this unique combination of things that, um, and my ability to, to solve problems, that this was sort of bestowed upon me as something that was kind of my cross to bear. And, um, and, and it helps to think of it like that, even if that's not the case. You know, let's just say that, what a bunch of baloney. Um, but if I think of it like that, it helps me to not feel bitter about having a knee that's real clicky and grindy and that I irritated getting up off the floor a few months ago and I am having to rehabilitate almost all over again, um, just from the damage that's inside. It requires a lot of careful attention. And a couple of elbows where my forearms are rotated at the, at the elbow that mean I get rotator cuff issues in my back. And I mean, I'm going to be dealing with the consequences of years of inflammation for the rest of my life. 
And so I still like to think of this as in a positive way. And what's great about this, I ask myself whenever I've got some big challenge, and what's great about this enormous problem that literally interrupted everything in my life um, and put me in the darkest, blackest place um, is that, well, I've been able to put together a plan that if 100 people follow, 99 people will see benefit, some of which a lot and some of which a little, but hey, that's a nice contribution to the world. Um, And so I feel like, you know, that's how I think of this uh, now. um, As I was listening to you regarding your life um, on the farm, did I hear that it was a wheat farm? It was. We've got wheat and oats, yes, but dad has stopped um, a lot of his farming activity. He's in. He's seventy now. Mum's seventy-five, and so yes, at the time we were growing wheat and oats. And were there many chemicals being sprayed um, on the farm, or was your uh, parents fairly organic? No, um, I'm forty-three. So if we go back to when I was, say, fourteen, helping out mostly around the age of ten to fifteen on the farm, um, it was all you know. Uh, Monsanto Roundup, you know. Um, I remember clearly because that stuff, it was so expensive and every time dad would buy it, he would curse Monsanto because of how expensive it is because they have such a, a, um, a cornering of the market. Oh, they did definitely back then, but now, you know, we have 500 products with glyphosate <laughs> in it, which is the active ingredient right. in Roundup. Yeah. Right, right, yes. So they don't have the corner of the market anymore, but it just means more and more people around Australia are spraying it. So he mm-hmm. used Roundup preceding? Um, Roundup at the point where the, uh, the, 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 there are small seedlings coming up out of the soil. I think that that point is when the um, spray was applied because um, we had to drive carefully so as not to trample or, or to crush too much of the small seedlings coming out of the ground, I remember. Mm, interesting. Because mm. I don't know if you know this, but uh, Roundup is just has patented in 2010 as an antibiotic. So not only were you exposed to the antibiotics that you were taking, you may have been exposed to Roundup as an antibiotic, which was probably having a detrimental effect on your gut and... Um, yeah, and on your gut and microbiome. So you had a double whammy there, I think, Clint. <laughs> yeah, and that's something that uh, is uh, something I hadn't given much thought to in the past, but you're right. I was uh, helping out with the spraying. It wasn't a large part of, of what we did on the farm. We did a lot less than other people because my parents have always been, um, you know, put, trying to find the pennies to pay the bills. And so the cost of the... For, uh, the um, uh, insecticides is so great that we did it at the very least of what we what we absolutely had to. Yeah. So, coming up to the diagnosis, what um what happened? Well, there was a perfect storm of immense stress, emotional turmoil, and uh, a lot of inactivity. Uh, not you know not exercising but also um, just t- sort of uh, 10 years of post-antibiotics without really trying to restore my microbiome. 
So I ate fairly repetitive sort of of foods um, without really addressing trying to replenish those lost bacteria. So if you take antibiotics for every day for five years, I mean, you're not going to have much of anything left inside, not just good guys, but anything. I mean, it's all basically a wasteland. Um, and so then if I'm just eating, you know, cooked foods only, um, never had salad. And I mean, never, ever. So never any leafy greens, which are favorite foods of uh, healthy bacteria. Um, and again, just all cooked food. So just depleting all my enzyme resources, no, no, um, fresh fruits or a lot of fresh fruits and vegetables. And yet I thought I was eating healthy. You know, I thought, look, this is normal. Go to the local RSL and, and, uh, just, uh, get like a $7 evening meal. Cause I was, you know, single guy and didn't, didn't cook too much. And then meanwhile, just not exercising in a way that I could, um, you know, create a sweat and to build up some kind of detoxification, just going to the gym and trying to always um, maintain my weight with a, with a light frame, uh, just the way that I've been, you know, my own built. And then I was running a business. And so this business that I was running was struggling and I was very, very stressed. And the word hate continually came out of my mouth and it actually popped straight in my mind again with that business. I hated the business and felt tied to it. And that that hate feeling was probably circulating in me more than I had ever had in my life just because I wanted out of that business. So there was all these things going on and a relationship that was failing as well. That was a long distance relationship and all these things were happening. Um, when, it, when, when I woke up uh, with the pain. Wow. <laughs> yeah. um, it's almost like we create these incredibly toxic environments inside of ourselves over time and, and it, it, it's, it's almost inevitable that something will be, will show itself. Do you think? I think that given the statistics of the amount of people who take prescription medications, particularly the elderly, as we develop more and more problems throughout our life, that if we just live a conventional Western lifestyle, not just with the foods, but if we get up, we go to work every day, we don't get much time with the kids, we don't get enough sleep, we're on the mobile phones all the time, constantly bad posture over our computers, we don't exercise, we're always sitting down. If we just live a normal life that we're all considered to be conventional, things are going to go wrong. It's just, it's just not good enough. It's just a one-way street to problems. So we have to really work hard to be unconventional and creative and proactive about our lifestyles to avoid what is otherwise going to create something in our lives. That's how I view the Western life. It's just too much of all those things I mentioned to be safe. I was, I have to tell you this yesterday, I was walking past Hungry Jack's. So it's 30, 37 degrees up here at the moment everybody was in their cars I would have said there were 30 cars waiting to get through two lines of hungry jacks to not get out of the car and eat that stuff I like Clint I despair you know I'm listening to you and I agree with you entirely but I despair because I just don't know if people are going to wake up before it's too late um and, and they have a disease or they have a, a child that's not as healthy as they should be. Are, are you finding this as well? Do you despair just a little bit? 
Oh, look, I can take us down a big despair direction. I don't talk about this too much because it just brings, we'll lose our audience, right? Yeah. We don't want to go down and go unhappy. But my personal view is that, um, is that in, on the flip side, if we, if we think about, if we paint nice pictures in our minds, if we think about before the sort of industrial revolution, and I don't really know what that looks like because I, I don't study history much, but um, I believe that if we picture a situation where we're walking a lot every day, we're not sitting down much only to eat or only to rest or something or just to interrupt what is otherwise an active lifestyle and we eat only enough to satisfy our hunger and no more and we don't have electronics too much at night we get a lot of sleep then as simple as that sounds then we're probably going to go really really good and so um you know there's quite a massive difference between that scenario and the one i mentioned earlier both in the behavior but also the outcome you know, overeating is probably one of the biggest problems. If we only ate enough energy, only took in enough energy to sustain us and occasionally, God forbid, even actually didn't quite eat enough in one day so we actually were a little hungry for a while, um, I mean, we'd all live longer. We know that all the animal studies, every study that's ever been done on underfeeding animals, they all live longer. Um, so the opposite is uh, it has to be detrimental. That's really interesting that you say that because when I look at everything that my life has, has contained and included, there's a couple of like real alarms in there for me that, um, you know, like I can see where there might have been some things go wrong in terms of what's led up to this, this diagnosis. What, how old were you? What went through your mind? What did your family think? Tell me about the moment that you found out that it that the pain in your feet was rheumatoid arthritis because that's when mine started. Yeah, well, it started in my feet, and I didn't think much of it, other than it was unusual. It was something I'd never felt before, and therefore I was curious, very curious about it. Slightly alarmed, but mostly curious also with a feeling of it'll be right because throughout my entire life I've had this attitude of everything always works out for me. It's an affirmation that I never wrote down and created, decided that I would have for my, myself. It's something that has evolved through observation in my life. For some reason, I have had this experience that has cre had ongoing experiences that have created that affirmation. I, and I always like, things always work out for me. It's like an observation of, of events. that, And so I now believe it. And so I thought, oh, it'll be fine. Things always work out. And then I'll get, but I had my blood test, my fingers started to puff up. And the, the, the general practitioner was very serious when he told me, he's like, you've got rheumatoid arthritis. And I hadn't heard of it before. I didn't know anyone with it. And I was, as I said, cross-country champion. And I, I, I probably overlooked the, the sort of most recent seven or eight years uh, leading up to diagnosis and thought back to when I was, you know, you know, running around and doing the city to surf and stuff. And so I kind of ignored the recent more, more un inactive period and thought I'm a healthy person and I eat well again uh, under the ways that I used to think was, was fine. And so 
um, my first thing was, it's not that bad. It's just not that bad. And when I even saw the rheumatologist, he started talking about all these medications. And I just said, look, it's, let me try natural, natural methods first. I thought everyone in the whole world must be missing something. Mm. Everyone's got to be missing something. This is what I thought. And um, that's what began a very, very long painstaking and mostly frustrating uh, <laughs> period of years of experimentation um, and uh, dietary and exercise intervention and supplementation interventions. And yeah, um, yeah, that's what I thought. Can't be that bad. Everyone else must be missing something. Mm. Everything will work out for me. But what I didn't realize is the enormity of the beast that I was up against. I had no idea that it was David versus Goliath on steroids. And so where did you go? I mean, there's a lot of people who are now referring to you in terms of their help. Where did you go back then? There were two people who'd published books on Amazon. One's called Sonia St. Clair, actually a Gold Coast girl. And she'd written a book called Freedom from Rheumatoid Arthritis. And I ordered it on Amazon and I was so keen. I inadvertently ordered two copies and I still have two copies of that book. For no, I guess I was just a little bit so keen to, to get it. And followed her program. And also um, there is a woman who is a coach for rheumatoid arthritis um, and her name is Barbara Allen and she has a book called Conquering Arthritis. She was diagnosed with, I think it was reactive arthritis, which is a different set of circumstances. So um, without going into all the detail, um, you know, one could argue that it's not the same and clinically it is not the same, but a lot of her concepts in her book I found to be overlapping with my thoughts and also my experiences with pain. And so this is who I followed. I couldn't get hold of Sonia, although she has since reached out for me years, to me years later after finding out that I'd been looking for her. Um, and, but I did get hold of Barbara Allen and I did Skype consultations with her for some time until then we, I just um, went down a, a different, went on my own way. Um, but neither of these approaches got me to get the breakthroughs that, that I had later experienced, but I'm very grateful to both of them because, um, you know, without those, those two books that were on Amazon, uh, there was nothing else, absolutely nothing. Yeah. I can imagine that would have been very disconcerting, like to have that diagnosis, to experience the pain of it and then to have so few um, people that you could draw on in terms of where you could get support that wasn't necessarily just straight down the medical model. So did you, did you land up getting caught up in the, uh, in the medications? And um, cause methotrexate, I think is the, is the one that's certainly the one that's been suggested for me. Yes. So um, I know that only a very small portion of your audience would be familiar with rheumatoid or, 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 um, want all the details of this and you and I can chat offline if you like, but let me just give you um, some insights into the medications. And certainly the one that I took was methotrexate. Uh, so I tried 12 months to stay off the meds, but without knowing enough at that point about how to go about that, um, I had no chance at all, and my body deteriorated dramatically in the 12 months from diagnosis until I went on methotrexate. Um, 
further accelerated by taking ibuprofen for three weeks in relatively high dose trying to get rid of pain, uh, which took my daily pain levels from about a four out of 10 um, to about a seven out of 10 at which they remained and did not come back down again. So ibuprofen just caused more gut uh, leakiness and I was stuck then at this high level and that's when the first time I felt dramatic fear. I woke up, my whole body was on fires, was bent over, crippled, sort of getting out of bed. Um, and I and I realized, oh my God, I can't take the painkillers because this somehow is now worse after taking them and now I have nothing. And so that's when it really, really scared me. And it was still six months after that of, of uh, battling before I took the methotrexate. I started on 10 milligram, which is an introductory dose. And then 25 milligram is where I ended up, which is maximum tablet dose. Uh, from there, it can, you can go into an injection uh, form where you can go up a little bit higher in, in, um, in dosages. But I was at the maximum for methotrexate on that drug. And then um, just to sort of round out the sort of, the struggling part of my story, um, I then um, sh- uh, was told by the rheumatologist that I would have to increase my medications and it was, it was obviously coming because I was just still debilitated, um, could you know, barely walk. So I was doing Bikram yoga every single day just so that I could move my, get enough movement through my knees so that I could get out of bed and walk the next day. And I, um, uh, the doctor said, look, we're going to have to, add some meds and but we would have still had to keep the methotrexate uh, which meant i would never be able to start a family and so everything was just so bleak and at that point is when i just remember thinking and this is a real thing actually that that's strange that there's a little bit of an insight and when i've told this story before i've not actually shared this but one of the things that i was really concerned about about making big dietary changes and doing some things that I've read about, like Gerson theory, where you go pure raw vegan, um, you know, lots of wheat grassing and green juices. And one of the reasons I didn't want to try like cancer therapy like that, which I, I felt might have some merit, I just didn't want to lose weight. I was so concerned about this. It's almost like it's, it's, it sort of had a disproportionate um, amount of importance especially as a guy, you know, we just have this feeling like, you know, we get painted this picture in our mind that we need to be muscular and strong. And of course that's, that's a good thing. Um, but I was so concerned, but at that moment I just said, look, I don't care. I, like I, in the meeting, he said more drugs and I'm thinking that means no kids, more side effects of which methotrexate has many already. I'm like, this is it. I'm all done. I'm going to do anything. I'm going to do absolutely anything. Like I'll water fast. I'll do anything. I don't care about my weight anymore. Just get me out of this living nightmare. And it was with that decision that then it opened up, it opened up the door to try some new, more dramatically, more intervention that was <laughs> hardcore, but uh, started to get results finally. And it was holding me back that one thing. And I, there's a lesson in that for all of us, um, even if it's um, nothing to do with health. It's just sometimes there's just one thought that's just there that holds you back from making massive decision. So what did you actually do for yourself? Tell us about your 
your journey through to recovery? Well, I started with things like I said, like the wheat grassing, I started shifting to more um, plant foods. I wanted to get as many enzymes into me as possible. I went through this phase of like, oh, it's all about the enzymes. And whilst I believe that's one aspect of it, um, at the time I thought that was the aspect of it. Um, now I believe that there's uh, six moving parts that we need to address, um, which are bacteria, leaky gut, um, stomach acid levels, and we've got to get uh, increase our stomach acid in the gut, um, and we need to lower acidosis in the body. Um, we need to restore our mucosal lining, the mucus along the, um, the, the inside of the colon, uh, and enzymes. And you put all those together, the first letter of each one of those all spell the acronym BLAME with two A's, so B-L-A-A-M-E. And so anyway, but I was all down on the enzymes at the time, so I was, you know, all about, you know, fresh fruits and vegetables and stuff. And I felt pain relief and that was encouraging. But it was when I had food poisoning, I was eating um, a bunch of uh, unwashed cherries that had been imported and I hadn't washed my hands. I was on a road trip and I got massive food poisoning and all my pain went away after purging from both ends. And so I thought, this is unbelievable. You know, I just need to get food poisoning all the time. Um, yeah um but um in practice what this meant was that when i was fasting i felt no pain and i found then some studies on this online as well from just the PubMed records and sure enough all people with rheumatoid arthritis when they stop eating the pain goes away i was like this is phenomenal and so when I, when I experienced that and then I reproduced that, okay, so sort of scientific approach, I'm like, is it reproducible? So I went and I did it again, sure enough, exactly the same result. And then I looked at the studies, same with everyone else. And so I was convinced. I mean, there's, there's no way of looking at the situation and not coming to the conclusion that rheumatoid arthritis has something to do with the digestive system if you don't eat and the pain goes away. I mean, there's no way you can look at that and argue that it's, unrelated right and so when i had that as a fact i decided that it has to be the gut and i have to be able to work out what to eat without causing pain and that was such a hard question to answer as to what to eat without pain because everything that was had any degree of calories caused pain so um yeah away i went i did a raw raw vegan diet for eight months and that got rid of a large portion of the pain, um, but still in pain. Uh, and then I was looking forward to eating some cooked foods uh, just because I found the raw vegan hard and I dropped so much weight. And in addition, the Bikram yoga uses up about a thousand calories a class. And so I was really struggling to maintain my weight. And then I started on some simple cooked foods like some, um, some buckwheat and quinoa and later some some brown rice and um, sweet potatoes and, and things like this. And, and transition to sort of a 50-50 situation where I was eating some cooked foods and some raw foods and slowly, slowly started to uh, taper the methotrexate and uh, over a period of about three years uh, was then um, off the methotrexate entirely. So, wow. I mean, this was a mega very long process so people say how quickly can i heal and i say well there's two 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 ways to heal the very 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 slow way and the very very slow way <laughs> right so, 
I like that. Yeah. Slow way or slow way. And yeah. your commitment is phenomenal. Uh, people give up too quickly and they want the one pill wonder and that's why they'll go for probably the methotrexate and any other medications that are given to them. But I, I, you, you have incredible commitment. I made it my mission partly because of the pain I was in, but partly because in a weird way, there's, there's a couple other ways, in a weird way, this was like the greatest science experiment I could have ever asked for. I mean, the complexity of it is unbelievable. And I still only understand a fraction of it because it's all on the inside. We can't look at what's going on. We can't even see the bacteria. In fact, an intervention from a gastroenterologist just to go and test out what's going on and measure things causes problems in a way that I wouldn't want to have that done because you know if you the the a lot of the bacteria that's help helpful inside our colon is anaerobic so you don't want oxygen to um you don't want to expose that area to oxygen you just don't want the sort of interventions I believe drugs are required before those procedures and so you know the whole thing's a mystery and now with the in, you know, with the introduction of these microbiome sampling that that is done by companies like Ubiome and there's a couple in Australia um it's kind of cool because now you can look at your um bacteria portfolio and make adjustments accordingly um which is something that's only in the last couple of years and so although i think you can do it without that that at least gives you some insight as to what's going on but otherwise i mean this is a black box this is a very, very complicated, mysterious thing that we're trying to um, battle. And, and our, our feedback mechanism is the pain in the joints. And so in this weird twist, you kind of want the pain to be there a little bit, at least a little bit, so that you can find out if what you're doing is working or not, because it's an alarm signal. Yeah, it's interesting. It's kind of... So I'll share with our listeners... Um, what's kind of transpired for me about two years ago, we did Machu Picchu and we came back from Machu Picchu and it was almost overnight. Like it wasn't a gradual thing. And I'd be so interested in your feedback on this, Clint. It was almost overnight. I started to develop pain in the metatarsals of my feet and I'm a runner and, and I four foot strike. So I was finding that my running became so painful but I just kept running through the pain. And after about a year, it became intolerable. So I went and saw a, a podiatrist. Nothing significant ever occurred to me because I just feel like I'm so healthy. And um, I went to see the podiatrist and they said, yes, there's nothing wrong with your feet. It's just the way that your toes are striking. Um, so we need to give you orthotics. So I spent, I think I spent 860 bucks on the orthotics. Um, and then I got some x-rays done on my feet and they said, yes, no, there's no damage to the bones, but we can see inflammation um, between each of the bones there. So um, it's just the way that you're, they call it toe off. So it's just the way that we can see that your, your, your toes are working when you land and you, you walk. So I used the, the orthotics that didn't help me one little bit. And then um, what, so I've been kind of just working with that over the last couple of years and I've gone from being able to wear beautiful high heel shoes to having to wear Birkenstocks. So it's like, oh my God, my whole life has changed because for me, the stiletto, it's my world. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the girls know when 
because we're all professional speakers. So when we're on stage, you know, I'm the one that'll be on stage for four days, rocking the stilettos for the four days because I'm so well trained in it. <laughs> and I can't even wear them for like a half an hour anymore. And then I started to feel about a year ago pain in my back that's got more and more debilitating and it's when I'm lying down. And I do have a significant back injury from being in the Bali, Bali bombing, but I was also in an accident when I was 18 that compressed my spine and there's been a lot of deterioration in the spine since then. So um, I just thought it was that. I thought, oh, you know, I'm just getting older. My goodness gracious, you know, the bones are starting to, obviously, <laughs> I don't know, something's going wrong. And I found about six weeks ago I started getting sick all the time like I would wake up in the middle of the night and I'd be vomiting and then the next day I'd be sick again and then I'd be sick for a couple of days and the migraines have just been horrendous and so I went to the doctor and I said oh something's got to give and they did all of the blood tests and um, there is something going on hormonally for me that's kind of not quite explainable yet so I've still got a few more tests to do but what showed up was um, the positive test for the rheumatoid arthritis. And so um, the doctor started taking me through because he was a bit of a, a specialist in that area. And he started taking me through what they tested for and I needed to get another test, which I did. And um, that explains the inflammation and it explains the pain. And, of course, my joints in my hands hurt. My fingers ache. Um, it's not debilitating. Like my feet, I'd say is like a six or a seven out of 10, but my hands are like a four, you know, and I can live with it. And my back is maybe an eight out of 10, but, and I'm living with that. So I don't take any medication. I don't take any painkillers. I don't do anything. I just, um, you know, I just try and manage it with stretching and moving and trying not to sit down too much anymore. Whereas I think I've sat down for long periods of time, you know, like if I'm building websites or I'm writing programs or I'm writing a book, I'll be sitting for 10 hours at a time. And I just, you know, I, I started to do some research since I got the diagnosis and I'm someone who adjust, adjusts pretty quickly. So the first couple of days I was a bit down, um, but then I realised, I thought, well, you know what, if anybody's capable of healing this and creating a miracle for myself, it has to be me. After everything that I've been through with my partner committing suicide and me going through the, bomb, the bombing, it has to be me. I've got the mental furniture and the emotional furniture to do it, which is why I found you or how I found you. Um, I put a post up on Facebook and a mutual friend of ours, Rowena Jane, put me onto you. And um, it was when I started reading all of your information, I thought it, it made me see that actually this is something I can get on top of. I just have to just have to pay a bit of extra attention to what I'm doing and how I'm doing it. But it's not something I'm willing to surrender to. It's something that I have to work with and love my body through and love myself through. So I'm trying really hard, to, well, not hard, but I'm, I'm really making sure, that's probably a better way to put it, I'm really making sure that I'm addressing it holistically in terms of what is the spiritual message in this? What's the emotional message in this? And how have I done this to myself so that then I can undo it? And with everything that you're talking about, you know, like every, all those sort of the warning signs, I can 
see so much in my own history and in my own past that um, could be little flags, little red flags that could say, yep, that would have contributed, that would have contributed, that would have contributed, and that would have contributed. For somebody who, um, for any of our listeners, you know, most of our listener pretty, listeners are pretty health conscious. You know, I'm sure they know someone who knows someone who's been through this. For somebody who is listening to the show and also for me, what would you suggest would be the first step in terms of what you offer and how you offer to help people? What would you suggest would be the first step for all of us so that we can kind of figure out what our baseline is? Well, the very first one you've already achieved, which is very touching how you're able to speak so openly about your uh, situation and acknowledge it. And, you know, the way you so articulate your, you know, um, situation is, uh, you know, I can really see, uh, you know, your professional speaking coming through there. It's amazing. Um, so first of all, that's, it's just being able to say something I've done has contributed to this. It's not that I'm a victim. I don't deserve this. That's, that's not right. That's not the situation either. It just is. It's just a cause and a reaction, right? So there's an action and here's a reaction. Let's take all of the, all of the sort of karmic view on this and all of the kind of, um, uh, you know, victim view. Let's let go of all of those things. Something has physically happened that has meant that there's been a shift to your microbiome and allowing more of those pathogenic bacteria, which we all have, into our bloodstream and your body's reacted to it. That's all that's going on here. All right. Yeah. So we just take a deep breath and say, there's a physical thing that's happened. It's got nothing to do with who I am as a person or what I deserved or I'm not a victim or anything like that. So um, it's so refreshing to hear you speak so almost uh, beautifully about this situation. Okay. So, yeah. So that's the first thing. Now I'm going to try and touch upon as many of the little mental notes that I made whilst you were speaking to offer just some commentary against some of the things that jumped out at me. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I'll probably get through, probably be able to recall half the things I wanted to say, but I haven't got to, I'm not making notes, but I just wanted to try and touch upon those. And I think that will also help listeners if they're thinking about making these changes as well, because some of them are, are, are common. Um, first of all, with the blood tests, you mentioned the, the Dr. Rand blood tests. I'm not going to have you answer these questions, but just to make a note yourself to review. Um, first of all, make sure that he tested uh, rheumatoid factor anti-CCP antibodies. Um, now, those two are nowhere near as important as to the actual uh, impact of rheumatoid on your life as what is the C-reactive protein and the SED rate. So if your C-reactive protein is quite elevated and your SED rate or ESR is quite elevated, then that tells me more concerning things than what it does if you've just got a... a elevated rheumatoid factor and anti-CCP antibodies. Now, you got diagnosed two, no, you felt the feet pain two years ago. 
as you were running and your foot striking, which through my experience, reading books like Born to Run, which are just like my favorite yes. book ever. Yes, same. Uh, right, is, is absolutely the correct style of running and is a very anti-injury kind of approach that I applaud. Um, but you're absolutely right that it causes that slap pain into those metatarsals and does create this issue. Um, so with that, I can understand the challenge with the running. Um, and if it were only that, then again, I wouldn't be concerned. Like those rheumatoid factor anti-CCP antibodies, I wouldn't be concerned. But the concern is that it's moved into your fingers. However, it's taken two years to move into your fingers. So your situation, as far as I can read from picking up from what you're saying, it's slow moving. And being on such a high-quality, nutrient-dense diet that you've been on for the past sort of seven years and then prior to prior to a little um, deviation again through your early 20s has dramatically slowed the impact of otherwise how quickly this could progress because taking two years to move from feet to fingers is unheard of, absolutely freakishly unheard of. I mean, my, mine went from feet to fingers in three weeks. Okay? Seriously? Yes. So you are demonstrating absolutely extraordinarily resistance to the progression. I could sob. <laughs> right? Okay. Me too. Me too. Oh, I could sob. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So give yourself a pat on the back because I have never heard of it so slow. Wow. All right. So all the things that you do that, that the, the way you speak, which is the first time we've spoken, I have not listened to earlier episodes, the way that you speak, you've got such a, a, a there's so, so there's no friction between who you are and the way you express yourself. There's just, obviously there's just this, existence that you have that is free of turmoil and this all just helps to have a healthy existence and so that emotional side is obviously um well well um, under control and your physical side through your exercise and through your diet is also excellent and so this is this is really really working in your favor now what can we do in addition to that what can we also do to see whether or not we can actually suppress and before I get to that, which obviously we're going to be interested in, very, very often back and shoulder issues are unrelated to rheumatoid. Right. So what we could have here is just simple posture-related, inactivity-related, lack of back bends-related back pain, okay? Especially if it's lower back. And I'm not talking the sacroiliac joints. I'm just talking about like just that lower back right in the middle of your spine, um, from seating down too much, long car rides, that kind of stuff. If you've got that stuff, that's highly resolvable or at least really, really reducible. Okay. If it's upper back pain between your shoulder blades, neck and stuff, yeah. that's very, very, very common as well. Again, posture related, underuse of your rhomboid muscles and, and overuse of chest muscles if you go to go to the gym and, and do some physical workouts and stuff. So the back doesn't worry me that much, even though it's yet 8 out of 10, because it is the most commonly misassociated with rheumatoid. Right. Right. Other listeners might 
be really tuned into this topic and think, well, perhaps it's ankylosing spondylitis, okay, which is a which is a different autoimmune disease, which can often coexist with rheumatoid because I just think they're basically different targets of the same condition, right? Just, just it, the diagnosis only diff, only exists because it's in the spine instead of a different joint. But the joints in the spine are just like another joint. But you just don't see rheumatoid in the spine very much. Yes. So I, if I was to put money right and take a bet, I would put money that you don't have any inflammation in your spine that is the same source of inflammation as that in your feet and your fingers. Now, I could lose that bet because I don't know enough and we haven't, we haven't done maybe spinal scans and stuff. Well, but, no, what they've come back with is osteoarthritis in my mid-back and my neck. Okay, all of that stuff. Of my spine is in great shape. But okay, okay. Well, that stuff with the right set of exercises that you should do yeah. daily can be dramatically reduced in terms of its impact on your life. So this is all this is all good stuff because nothing is bad as the rheumatoid. So we want to eliminate anything that we're misassociating as that bad um, because it just helps us sort of just clear the desk of like yeah of of little bills as opposed to worrying about the big bills. Yeah. Yeah, totally, and to know what we're actually dealing with. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, so the best the best way to address that would be a Bikram yoga class, uh, which is the yoga style, and it's the only yoga style that I recommend for for these situations. Um, so even if it's worth next time you're traveling to a business event, you're hosting a conference or whatever, um, just if they have a Bikram yoga nearby, or if they're even even better, as one near where you live, just go and do half a dozen classes over two weeks, and just witness firsthand the relief that you get through your spine by doing this. It's absolutely ridiculous. So that's the tip for the back. Now, with regards to a couple other things that you mentioned, um, now, uh, this is, um, I'm starting to lose my thoughts on a couple of other things were, um, oh yes. And it's what to do in addition to, um, what you're already doing. Um, so we need to reduce fat intake and that includes plant fats just for the time being. So if you're a heavy snacker on nuts and seeds, trail mixes and stuff, or if you love putting flax seeds into your uh, coffee grinder, which then go into your smoothies, or if you love putting avocado on your toast, um, just for a couple of weeks, experiment with reducing your fat intake. That doesn't mean zero fat because obviously we need fats. Fats are essential, but we can get by on such a less amount of these fats than what we actually uh, like to eat. We love fats. Humans gravitate towards fats instinctively because it's the most dense form of energy. And if when we used to have trouble finding foods, obviously you want to eat foods that that are calorie, I should say calorie, dense because we don't have to eat as much to satisfy ourselves and to live the next day. So it's natural to want to eat fats. Um, It's just that these days, and especially if you've got an autoimmune condition, we can choose to eat as as few or as much of it as we want. So um, without needing to know all of your dietary habits, um, that's a guideline. And the number one most influential uh, fat in terms of 
creating inflammation are going to be pure fats where there's nothing but fat and that of course is oils so if something is a pure fat such as you know sunflower oil or avocado oil and even um, coconut oil let's just set aside whether or not that's a healthy oil or not let's just set that argument aside i just want to say that that fat aggravates leaky gut when it exists and so we just need to minimize it and pure fat which is oil all needs to be set aside whilst we're dealing with this situation gotcha what about um what about sugars i have to say that's probably my weakness i'm not a for me fats are, it's probably not too much of an issue i don't fancy nuts at all um and i'm flat out having a tablespoon of olive oil in my food maybe once a week so fats are not really an issue for me but i i i I'm a, I'm a sugar fiend. (laughs) Okay. Well, so this is now where we get into, um, where we get away from kind of generic advice, uh, and we get into kind of a more specific situation. So for instance, you might, um, find that by withholding sugar for, um, a week, which would include fructose. So you might have to avoid fruits for a week. Uh, you might feel a, a difference, whereas someone else might have a different set of bacteria uh, that are aggravating their inflammation, uh, and therefore um, withholding the the sugar source that feeds the bacteria uh, doesn't have any impact because ultimately it all comes down to the influence on bacteria. So we all have these different microbiomes, and so. Um, it depends on what they eat, what they eat regularly, and what, if we hold it back, is going to cause them to die off and to uh, allow the healthier guys to proliferate. And so this is why I created my program, is because in the first 12 days of my program, there is no sugar, there is no gluten, um, there, uh, we have to avoid all, of, um, all the fats, and so the only fats that we get are through um, small amounts of essential fatty acids uh, through some um, buckwheat, quinoa, amaranth, um, and through a ton of leafy greens, which have a dramatic ratio of omega three and sixes, so that we can um, get a ton of threes and virtually no sixes, which means that we can still meet our essential acid, essential fatty acid requirements. Um, and so we avoid all of these aggravators nightshade vegetables as well even though they're they're an iffy one and we just avoid all of this stuff and then we load on top of that all the leafy greens and potassium rich foods and we go the like we so we do all avoid everything that everyone possibly could have a problem with and then we load it with all the things that are wonderful for our gut and then after 12 days we then start testing foods back in and the first food that we test back in that's recommended for everyone is papaya. So it's a fruit and it's rich in uh, papain, a, a digestive enzyme that helps break down proteins because although I haven't, you know, I know we've, we've been chatting for a long time already, but we haven't gotten into all of the specifics and we probably won't um, of what's going wrong other than the BLAME acronym I mentioned before. Um, but ultimately we've got um, proteins. It's the proteins in our our foods and in the lining of the bacterial walls uh, that are irritating our immune system. So ultimately, uh, food sensitivities and so it all comes down to proteins. And so if we can help digest those proteins, 
using enzymes that are natural in food and that taste delicious that we want to eat all the time. Uh, that's a good thing. So, you know, fruits aren't far away. So after 12 days of our program, you're then back into fruits again and also rock melon or cantaloupe for your US listeners. You know, very rich in potassium. And there's a scientific study that shows the more potassium the people with rheumatoid arthritis took, the more pain relief they got. It's remarkable. Okay, so we have this uh, diminished potassium resources partially influenced by everyone who's taken prednisone, which depletes potassium, and so on and so forth. So there's a, there's a whole bunch of science behind it, a whole bunch of my personal experience, and thousands and thousands of people who've been through this process who've enabled me with their feedback to make tweaks and adjustments. And uh, certainly a, um, it's an uh, ever-going, evergreen project that I always tinker with t- to keep improving. Clint, uh, do you advocate organic or are you just wanting to get the leafy greens into people or, or yeah? <laughs> I lo- organic's ideal, absolutely ideal. Um, there, was a, there was a study done on the effects of, and I, I may be going, take, you know, stretching a branch here too far because I might not remember all of the details. But my view on this is um, that you're better off eating the leafy greens than avoiding them because they're not organic. But ideally, get them and get them organic. Yeah. I'm just now, eating my leafy greens now. <laughs> If I there was a, right now, I'd have a green tea. <laughs> <laughs> there was a study that was done by, uh, uh, oh, that was reported by nutritionfacts.org and it was about cancer and it was about um, a concern that um, eating a certain otherwise healthy food could cause cancer. And I forget the details of this, but ultimately what was found was that, you know, by avoiding the healthy food because it can cause cancer in like a small number of people um, meant that tons of people died um, of other unhealthy causes. And those people that ate the healthy food, uh, only like a couple died of cancer. So ultimately you're better off. (laughs) Gee, that was a terrible example, but you're better (laughs) off. um, You're better off eating the healthy food. Um, than avoiding it because you're worried that it may have some pesticides on it. Now, I know that pesticides matter, but I feel that it's a kind of a hierarchy of needs. Yeah, I would agree with you. Do you think there are more ways to skin a cat? Because I, you know, there's, I'm in the nutrition world, I watch a lot of people and what they advocate for autoimmune diseases. So Dr. Terry Walls, Dr. Natasha Campbell-McBride, yourself, um, Mark Hyman. You know, I can go across the board and there's, it seems the common factor is real food and a lifestyle change, a complete lifestyle change. So, you know, watching your stress levels, starting to move, doing the right you know, types of things, having a bit of sunshine. So do you think that, um, you know, like I listen to you and I look at Natasha Campbell McBride and they're total opposites, but they both do the same, you know, they both are trying to heal the gut and we're both trying to, you know, 
get that autoimmune disease to go away. What are your views on that? Um, Natasha Campbell McBride, I know that she has more of a paleo or uh, meat heavy approach. And Terry Wiles, I know with a famous MS history, um, has done tremendously well um, with her situation. Now, Terry Wiles, I've heard say that it all comes down to the plants. Okay, so Terry advocates essentially a plant-based diet plus you can have some meat right when she goes and helps recovering um, veterans from u.s army and gets them on programs that improves their health she doesn't say with her fist banging on the table eat meat eat meat eat meat what she says is eat plants eat plants eat plants okay that's what she says and she allows meat i think that terry and the way that she helps other people who improve, improve despite of the meat. Not because of, but because there's so many plants involved that people can get well in spite of it. Because the studies are absolutely crystal clear that fat increases leaky gut. Okay, so can you have a situation where you eat enough plants to therefore negate the effects of the meat, I believe that a lot of people can, but I believe a lot of people can't. And people come to me from all of these people that you've mentioned and say, I've been doing X, I've been doing Y, and I've been doing Z for the last 12 months, and I continue to worsen. There have also been bloggers who follow the same kind of approach that some of the above people who've been mentioned. Um, and they have blogged about autoimmune protocol for years and are now on triple therapy drugs right so this is not a game of like oh who who's the i know you're not even suggesting this but some people can get caught up in it it's that diet versus that diet or it's it's this person versus this person and i'm like screw that what we've got here are real people's lives and i'm going to tell you based on the people's feedback that I work with, I've got 550 people that I have in a community and we communicate constantly every day, not with every individual, but over a period of a year, I'll speak to almost every one of those people. And our interaction is extraordinary with the information that exchanges. And so many of them have tried these other things that we've talked about. And ultimately, it has to come back to plant foods. The more plants you eat, the healthier you get. And so do we also need to eat meat? Well, the studies are clear that we don't. Do we benefit from eating meat? You can get all the vitamins and minerals and nutrients that you need without having to eat meat. Okay, so the question is, well, why would you? Well, because we enjoy it. We enjoy it and we look to avenues which enable us to eat foods that we enjoy. And as long as we can acknowledge that, I think that's fine. But do we need it? No. Do we like it? Yes. Okay, so fine. If, for instance, um, any of the people that Dr. Hyman or Natasha Campbell McBride or Terry Wells has helped had to come and done a plant-based diet through the elimination process that I recommended, would have got the same results, my view, or if not, sustain them better. Because that's just, I, and here's a point I really want to make. This is where it gets really, really sneaky. You see these testimonials online from 
people who have followed those approaches and what isn't obvious to the reader and what takes a great discerning mind to understand is that within six months that person could be bad again and that's where this is dangerous to the casual observer it's not how someone is on the day that they feel better because they've used to eat mcdonald's and they've done aip or autoimmune protocol for 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 three months and now they feel so much better they can write a testimonial it's how they are in three years from then and let me tell you you're going to get a different answer than what you see after those first three months Mm. yeah and for me i think there's more ways to skin a cat than one and i am very much in the belief that we are individuals and what works for one doesn't work for another and what works for another doesn't work for, you know, like it's, I've seen this, you know, over and over and over again. And I got to tell you, Clint, I've been a nutritionist for 40 years nearly. And it used to be, we just had to feed them real food, just get out of the breakfast cereals, out of the margarine, out of the low fat, and, you know, out of that type of thing and just give them real foods. It, it didn't, as long as it was, it was, you know, plants with fruits and vegetables and grains, even grains were never a problem. Even wheat wasn't a problem, you know. We used to be able to do that and get people well. Now we can't. I'm even finding people struggle with lettuce. And I started to question why are people struggling with lettuce? Not everybody, but people that have really got some really bad issues with their gut. And I started to look into it and I, I found that they're, they're now sterilising our lettuce in the supermarket. I'm not talking about when we go to our farmer's markets and we buy um, straight from our farmers or we produce our own. They're not the ones that are sterilising the lettuce but the ones we're finding in the grocery store, which means you're taking the microbes off the lettuce, the soil-based microbes off the lettuce, which then in turn doesn't allow you to digest it and it'll give you more and more microbes. So... I, I, you know, I just believe that um, we are in crisis and we're seeing that as a result of the increase in autoimmune diseases. And as you said, you know, whether it's ankylosing spondylosis or whether it's rheumatoid arthritis or osteoarthritis, they all stem from a gut that is not working. And I, I believe that if we can get to the root cause of that and get that gut working again, you know, no matter what we do, and as long as it's something like you last, you know, you worked for three years to get to where you are. Um, and, and that just shows you can't do any protocol for three months and expect it to cure you when you've spent a lifetime of not doing well. Yeah, I, I, um, yeah, I, I just, I see this all the time and I look at all of the programs and all of them work in some way or another. And my belief is that we are in crisis and there are certain, and we, we as individuals uh, are very different. That's just my two cents worth. <laughs> uh, well, we are absolutely very different. And I, I you know, I think that, um, uh, that it, it just goes to show, you know, with the examples you cited earlier, of all the programs and, 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 so many different ways to go about it. And yeah, I think ultimately it comes down to the individual, which I'm sure 
we can all agree with and people can choose whatever they want. People can follow my stuff by listening to my podcast. They don't need to spend a cent. I've got all the information that I've ever created. I've at some point in time put on a podcast. And so if people uh, want to listen to my views on this, they can, um, they can listen to that. Or if people want to try something else instead or first, you know, there's lots of opportunities, certainly more than what there were when I kicked off um, with my problems many years ago. So we've come a long way um, and hopefully uh, we, can, we can do a lot more. And you are living proof, Clint, that this works. So, you know, that to me, um, and you're obviously not just N equals 1, you're N equals 550, as you were saying, you know, and that's a big cross-section of the, of the community. So if people are interested in learning more about what you do, can you give them where they can go for, you know, Facebook or Instagram or your website? Can you help them get there? Because, you know, anyone who has rheumatoid arthritis, and I'm seeing it more and more, they need these options. They need to understand what's available to them. But medicine is not the be-all and the end-all, although you know, it helps you to a point. Um, but most of us go to medicine first and then when it doesn't work, we go, well, where do I go now? What do I do now? What, you know, am I going to be crippled for the rest of my life? So could you tell us where we can find you and where people can get, you know, to understand what you're doing? Yeah, the easiest way is just go to our website, which is pattersonprogram.com. And Patterson's spelt after my last name, which is P-A-D-D, as in dog, I-S-O-N. Very easy to find on YouTube. Um, Just type in Patterson Rheumatoid or Clint Rheumatoid uh, and we come up pretty quick. So our podcasts are on, you know, the usual iTunes or stuff or people actually like watching them on YouTube just as much as anything else. Um, I post all my podcasts on YouTube. Um, And on Facebook, again, easy to find, uh, just forward slash Rheumatoid Arthritis Program. So on our website, sign up to the mailing list and you just get notifications every time we have uh, created a new piece of content. Uh, We also have an app for Android and iPhones. Uh, It's just Patterson Program. Again, you can get notifications on your phone and listen to the podcast straight right there in the app. I've I've personally downloaded your free content and also um, your paid program. But what I love about everything that you're offering, Clint, is that it's so affordable. I think I paid $90 for a whole protocol, recipes, e-books, um, a, a whole lot of, a whole stack of downloads. I'm just bringing it up now. There's like six or seven pieces to you. We've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven pieces to your download. Um, and if you click on those headings, you'll see subheadings underneath those and <laughs> 13 days of videos uh, to guide you through each and every day. And within those videos, there's um, information to guide you through day one, day two, day three, and so forth through to day 13, and then all about the reintroduction. Um, there's overview videos about the entire process. And you'll also find in there, if you go towards the bottom, if I think I'm looking at, if I think I know where you're looking, there's a troubleshooting section. Yes. And that's where we have like a 50-minute video on reversing rheumatoid in the knees. We have how to support your loved one if you've got rheumatoid arthritis, if they've got rheumatoid arthritis, so that's for your family to watch. And we go into detail about the acid-alkaline balance. We talk about a whole bunch of stuff in there. So, yes, um, 
I haven't raised the price on that since we put that together nearly six years ago. And that's the feedback that we get is it's affordable. And so what I, what I do is put out as much free stuff as possible. And then occasionally someone wants to actually have it all put together in a nice, easy to follow package. And mm. those, those occasional purchases then enable me to uh, spend my time continuing to create uh, free stuff and to have wonderful chats with, with wonderful people like yourself. <laughs> yeah, I also downloaded your stuff, Clint. It's um, it's it's really well put together. So congratulations, and um, we need more and more people like you out there spreading the word about how to get well. Um, and 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 you know, it's it's so important. Yet we just seem to go straight to um, not even thinking about our food and our lifestyle. So well done, congratulations. Well, thank you. I um, appreciate being able to share this uh, with you guys. Thanks for uh, having this platform for enabling people like myself and you guys to uh, talk about such important things. As we say, creating a ripple effect that changes the world. (laughs) We love it. Thank you for being a part of today's show. You've been amazing. Thank you both. Mm, Thank you. So for all of our listeners, head on over to Clint's website. The website details are going to be in the show notes. If you're out jogging or you're vacuuming or you're in your car right now, when you come back home, log on to the show notes and you'll find us at authors.facebook.com forward slash chat. I did it again, Cindy. (laughs) (laughs) I get it wrong almost every time. What are we now? This is our sixth year? 317th show. Seriously? Yep. Or you can find us at all the w's.thewellnesscouch.com forward slash up for a chat. Thank you to our guest today. Make sure that you tune in next week on Up for a Chat. Make sure that you give us a five star rating when you're listening to us and tell everybody that you know about Up for a Chat. Let's spread the word. As we go into 2019, let's Quick, our listeners up to 3.5 million. What do you reckon? We can do it. We can do it. We're already at 2.5. We can get to 3.5. Let's do this thing, my friends. Join us here and up for a chat next week and become part of the ripple effect that's changing the world. And we are going to see you on the ride. Bye for now, everybody. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.